0: Welcome to the Staffing RecOps Podcast, where we interview leaders from high volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, Mark Agostinelli. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks so
1: much for having me on James.
0: Mark is Executive VP of Sales and Operations for Davis Companies based in Massachusetts in the United States. Davis companies offer both staffing solutions and talent advisory services. They operate internationally, have offices in four US states, and recently won awards with best of staffing for talent, client and employee satisfaction. Davis companies focus on engineering, IT and manufacturing skill sets. Mark really keen to understand what's happening in your world, where you're seeing the market going, it, particularly around retention. What what's happening mm-hmm. at Davis Companies at the moment?
1: It's a uh, it's certainly a hot topic over here, James. Um, I think for us, given the supply and demand metrics in the United States specifically, uh, we do operate internationally, although ninety percent of our recruited headcount is in the domestic U S and currently with the way supply and demand is, there's basically two jobs for every person on unemployment. And uh, most of our customers and clients are looking for people that are already gainfully employed to uh, augment their current um, team. So for us um, owning the talent is helpful. We, We kind of have that saying of he who owns the talent owns the market. Um, and that, that's what we believe. So we, we're pretty heavily focused on redeployment. Uh, there's a number of various factors um, that factor into it, but it's uh, but it's huge right now, especially as um, I mentioned the supply and demand metrics. But also, as as most of the world knows, the, the U.S. economy is in a strange is, is going through a strange time. So, um, yeah, hot topic for us, for sure
0: so is it something that you have just recently started measuring that redeployment is it is it something that you've always had good stats on we i we do a better
1: job measuring it today james In full disclosure it's always been a focus we've preached it more internally as every recruiter having about a hundred candidates we call it the precious 100 internally that they maintain relationships with regardless if they're billing or not um we do redeploy today. We redeploy about 20% of our workforce. Um, I love that number to be much higher because every, you know, as a, certainly as an operations professional, the cost of finding a new applicant or candidate um, is quite high and that, that really brings it down. Um, but I also think we reorganized our business in, in 2020 and that has really helped. It, it's, it's difficult when you've got recruiters, the, the more recruiters are specialized. Within certain skill sets I think the more keen they are and able to redeploy more effectively so um hope that answers your question
0: yeah absolutely thank you so w- interested to know more about that restructure were you previously were you previously just focused geographically each recruiter and now they're they're more niche skill set
1: yes we operated our company geographically Um, very similar to some of the light industrial branch models you'll see over here in the States where we had more offices at the time too. You introduced us earlier with four offices. We were up to about eight or 10. They were smaller and they really focused on a market closer to them. Now, we always had customers that required us to be in States we were not in. And we did that um, happily and well, but, you know, we, there was a lot of redundancy involved with, you know, sharing of customers or um, recruiters being really spread thin on the skill sets they were on. And in 2020, we decided to reorganize the company and said, doesn't matter where you sit, we're going to be in either engineering, IT or manufacturing. Uh, We changed the reporting structure of a lot of those things and uh, a lot of those folks, excuse me, and created, um, different teams. And uh, it has been quite a catalyst to our growth. But, and I think one of the reasons for that is the focus, as you mentioned, but we started by talking about retention, you know, it makes so much more sense as a recruiter to be retaining relationships with um, your staff, your contract staff or people you place in direct hire, um, when you know that you're constantly going to be filling those types of roles. So it's had, uh, it's had a lot of benefits, James
0: what kind of systems and processes have been put in place to help the recruiters to to manage those volumes and and do you set any targets for for trying to increase that 20 percent redeployment rate
1: yes you know we know that there are some firms um that are certainly beating us in redeployment you know i i think in certain um Niche markets, especially in engineering and IT, I'd certainly like to see that number creep up. Um, I also think that comes with longer projects as well. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, tools—I think—I think you got to talk about it culturally. I think it's got to be important in your culture to talk about it and um, and make it part of kind of a daily huddle to a degree of who's coming off assignment. When do we see assignments ending? How are we doing and in finding Intel about certain areas? But yes, we have designed um, our ATS to help us both in terms of um, some auto match features. So when a job comes in, you know, there's, there's, there's certainly some technology uh, for the recruiter around who would be a good fit, especially people they know already. Um, and also um, just the management of lists and tasks in our in our system to stay in front of mind. I think it's, I think one of the things that's funny about our business is the time flies. And you can forget that uh, I just picked my head up and it's May. And man, it was February. and It's like, oh, I haven't talked to some of these people in three months. And um, some of the simplest automation tools of calendars, etc., I, I think are quite helpful. And um, hel- helping you achieve your redeployment goals
0: is there much room at the moment do you think for reskilling those candidates to move you were talking about having quite niche areas now that you, that your recruiters are working on but do you see transferable skills in the candidates you place for other jobs absolutely absolutely and and i think
1: that for us it tends to be a client dependent situation we i, I I'll give it to our clients. They certainly, they certainly do a very good job with an open mind right now. I mean, as I referenced earlier, the supply and demand metrics in our country are so out of whack that people are looking for creative strategies. And I would say the best in class, uh, customers and companies are open to translatable skill sets. Um, now it's funny you talk talking about reskilling in the, in the nineties when uh, Davis was uh, a much younger company we purchased um, some electronic manufacturing machines, SMT, wave solder machines, and we legitimately hired people, trained them on the machine and then deployed them out to our candidates, uh, to our customers. Um, we've got some talk about doing that in areas. Now, uh, there doesn't seem to be the same appetite for the capital investment required to get it off the ground to do so. But I think that if you're not exploring all those options, um, you're going to miss out. I, th- I think the I think as I mentioned before, I think the best companies are going to be open to reskilling. Um, however, doing it at scale is still something I think that's going to be quite a
0: challenge. How how much is the issue for the clients that you've got? How much of the issue of the shortage of workers is because those roles are newly required skills compared to? they're growing industries and those skills have been around for a while, but there's just not enough people coming into it.
1: Yeah. You know, um, not as much as I wish, I wish it was more of a a new skill situation. There's some of that a hundred percent. And especially in the, uh, the nuanced technologies, I think there's a couple skill sets that we service that have gotten really gray in terms of what's the skill set you need. I mean, the line between electrical engineering and software engineering used to be, um, a little firmer and a little and a little more black and white. And I think it's really great over the certainly the 15 years I've been in the business. Um, But unfortunately, it's really more of just a talent shortage. I mean, the the fact of the matter is um, there's a lot of economists that just predict that, especially in the US, those supply and demand metrics are not going to change potentially for my lifetime, our lifetime, James. And and it's. uh, it's a multifaceted problem that includes lower birth rates in the U.S., um, uh, immigration policy that's not taking care of it, and, and even even the companies that uh, excuse me, even the countries that do emigrate to our um, country at the you know the highest magnitudes, they also have declining birth rates. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting situation, um, especially since some of the industries we service, we we're we are in medical device, we are in defense. Um, and then the tech sector i mean some of that cooked during the pandemic there was these massive uh periods of growth and to sustain it um in the long term is uh, is a bit of a challenge so i um yeah it's i think it's going to be the best companies are going to certainly have to figure out figure out how to do more with less people which isn't always the best signal for our industry however with the way it looks that the supply and demand is working, it looks like we'll be gainfully employed for quite some time because the war on talent will only intensify over time, it sounds like.
0: It's really interesting what you're saying about what Davis Companies was doing back in the 90s in terms of training candidates up before putting them out to work. We've seen it here in the UK and I think some companies in the US doing it more with the tech roles, Um, particular platforms, particular technologies where they take school leavers, university college leavers, and and train them up deploy them on a, a temp to perm temp to to hire type type engagement yes but for you guys particularly with the heavy manufacturing that requires expensive initial implementation of of machinery
1: it it does i also think that there's a customer um I don't know if the customer can see as far two and three years down R- right now because of the post pandemic life backlogs tend to be longer than they were previously and i and i think there's um the experienced leader is going is this too good to be true how long will this demand last for our product so there's a little bit of that i will i will say i should give a shout out and maybe someone you could also have in the podcast one of our partners in the it space um davis also has a product where we sit on site and white label our talent advisory and, and staffing services um but we manage some of the staff through a partner network because we physically can't place all those people and one of them one of our partners does reskill um uh folks into um, entry-level IT roles and typically in rural places in our country um and they tend to be centered around you know they're not major metropolitan hubs they're places that uh you know, maybe someone like you, when you came over here, wouldn't obviously visit. Um, they tend to also be near military bases where there's larger communities of people with honorable discharges. So um, there are companies doing it at scale. I do. I, but I kind of hear where you're going with it. it is the, the path of least resistance does tend to be technology focused, right? The price of computers is pretty low. It's just becomes a training time situation. Capital equipment creates a whole new endeavor and challenge in it, especially we've had a crisis here, finding machinists in our, in our uh, country since, I don't know, it's always the first group that gets hired after a recession. And, uh, uh, you know, say we came out of the recession in, what, 09, 2010, that, that first one that I worked through, um, by 2014, 15, machinists wasn't the best place to be anymore because we physically didn't have enough. So it's a, um, and the trade schools, we partnered with trade schools, we partnered to do some of that, but the machines unfortunately can be crashed and and broken. So there's, there's just a level of risk tolerance, um, that I don't think we've quite tipped over
0: yet. Does Davis companies look to stay with the focus on your current sectors? Will you expand into other markets to help growth or are you thinking, keep it quite niche?
1: Um, We're thinking niche, I think we think niche and but I will talk out of both sides of my mouth a little bit, you know, we're always opportunistic, James. Um, But for example, in engineering, um, there are certain sectors of engineering and certain industries within the engineering field that we don't touch today. Um, And in particular for us, uh, nuclear was not something we were really focused on two, three years ago. And um, we've really kind of transitioned uh, some of our folks into that into that area. So now, will we go after accounting and finance? Mm, pr- you know, probably less so. Probably less so. Um, but always willing to keep our eyes peeled. We're in some pretty healthy markets. Uh, you know, the engineering market is our, is the smallest market we serve from a from a data standpoint. And I.T. And, and the manufacturing sectors are, are absolutely huge right there. You know, light industrial technically gets lumped in with with uh, manufacturing. So those are the two biggest markets in the U.S. Um, and we feel like a, we've got a lot of room and market share to cover there. So um, for us, we think more optimize in the niche skill sets
0: the redeployment rate that you gave me earlier that number of 20 percent and you mentioned that some of your competitors would have a higher redeployment i guess if if you're a larger agency the likelihood that you've got another job on with one of your clients for that candidate when they come to the end of their contract period is going to be greater anyway so are, are you doing are you doing things to try and increase your footprint with the clients i guess everyone's always looking at new business development
1: Yes, absolutely. And before we even hit that, I mean, just your question about, are you looking to new markets? Every time you jump into a new market, you kind of hurt your ability to redeploy because now there's there's the trickle down effect of that. Um, yes, for, for us winning over market share and our customers tends to be focused on trying to, um, help them manage their total contingent workforce beyond our recruiting prowess we believe the other thing we bring to the table is our ability to help them manage their staff org, whether it's all the people get staffed through the Davis companies or they need us to help them manage, um, manage that on their behalf with a tool and a technology, et cetera. So, um, that's, we we try to do the value out on that, on that side.
0: And so what, what does it look like when you're trying to increase the number of jobs that you've got in your existing play and your existing verticals? How do you go about that? Mm, uh,
1: it, for us, it's 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 pretty simple: blocking and tackling of how many salespeople do you have, and how many customers can they manage, and, and what are the markets you want to be playing in? I, I think, and I think that's we do have new customer um, goals and commitments that we look to bring on. We we know we lose about eighteen to twenty percent of our customers year over year, and some of that is just attrition that's out of your control right people were hiring and they're no longer hiring so we know you know in staffing new customer acquisition it's got to be part of the dna um i think what's interesting about the current economic headwinds are some of our tried and true customers 15 20 years of constant rec flow has really slowed down and, and probably i'd say since last july We've been in, I don't know if you know the book Who Moved My Cheese, but that we've been living that in real time, right? So we just can't expect to have these same customers fill our coffers with requisitions uh, on a weekly basis. So we've kind of been on the new business development, sales, new customer hunt um, for quite some time. I think the challenge is not chasing shiny objects and trying to stay within your core competencies so that all of the rest of your operation can benefit from that. As I mentioned, you go out and we, we get into accounting and finance, well, we're gonna redeploy no one from IT into accounting and finance. So by staying focused, um, I think for us, market acquisition would be probably uh, more of a focus. Like, can we open another hub in a Texas or somewhere else where um, there's like-minded businesses or we already have a good footprint on the ground?
0: You guys run a, a mix of perm and contract slash Temp book, Is that right? What, what's That's the, correct? what's the level? What kind of numbers are we talking?
1: Yeah. I mean, from a revenue standpoint, you're pretty,
0: we're pretty much
1: 90%, uh, contract business. I think if you looked at our rec sheet day to day, it's probably more like 70, 30. I think we've got, we've got a good healthy amount of, uh, of direct hire that we do, certainly placing uh, hundreds of people a year in direct hire roles. I, just the contract business is much larger and dwarfs it in size, so it doesn't tell the true story, um, if you will. And we have made uh, more of a focus right now because of the supply and demand. We've kind of always been contingent direct hire, and recently we've made more of a focus to go, we're gonna go full desk, executive search, retainer, kind of build some build some niche focused, um, direct hire business as well, um, just to really just to hedge against, against as the market continues to evolve.
0: And, and still then remaining in that, in those niche spaces. Yeah,
1: correct. Correct. Cause because then, you know, fortunately one hand starts to feed the other.
0: With the contract book with those contract workers that you're deploying, what does the onboarding look like for them and how has that changed over the years? Well, there's much more technology involved, uh, certainly. And
1: I I think, you know, I'm probably parroting um, things that I've heard at other uh, conferences and such. But we do like the internal metaphor of the Amazon delivery. You know, when you when you put an order in, you kind of know it was ordered, you know, when it's preparing to ship it's shipped, it's on its way, it's been delivered. How was your service? How can we do that with jobs? You know, hey, I applied. I, I, I think there's there's certainly the onboarding of, hey, we found you, we worked, we recruited you and brought you on board. There's that, there's much more technology in that. We've also um, invested in an offshore team. We, we purchased a business in South America um, where uh, much of our candidate care team exists today, uh, doing a lot of the blocking and tackling of direct deposits and tax form. You know, the, the things that um, really, Need to be taken, time and are important in the onboarding experience but for us we also believe there's a ton upstream from that and just applicants people applying to your jobs people that are seeing your brand how are you capturing them and giving them some level of an experience or some level of value add so that even if they aren't a good fit for the roles you have today or the roles you see in the immediate future um, keeping them in our network and trying to build a, a, a larger pool. And I guess community, I think, I think about it community wise, how do you build a community of people, um, with a skill set that you live in every day? So I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but I'd say the onboarding piece for us has much more technology and more hands in it, which has been interesting, right? Cause there's certain recruiters that are like, no, I love this part of the job. I want to see it all happen. And the other part of the, uh, team go, I'm so happy we don't have to do that anymore. So some of the change management through that has been difficult. And I think we've learned that if you, you you really can change things too fast, the vision of like, Oh man, we can really automate many of these processes and, and separate church and state from a roles and re- responsibilities section. Um, easy to cook that up in a conference room, uh, not as easy to deploy, uh, and under and understand how people feel about, uh, Giving up some of those tasks, adding more tasks, et cetera. So, that's been that I would say that's been part of the learning curve as we've um, implemented more technology in all facets of our business, but certainly in onboarding, because it's such a heavy lift, as as you
0: know. One thing I hear as a conversation time and time again internally with companies that I speak to is that whole way off between the, the touch point of the human touch versus bringing in the tech. And that balance of still having that relationship, is that a big topic of conversation at Davis companies?
1: Massive, massive. And I don't, I wish I could tell you, I think we got the recipe figured out. Um, We certainly have tried to automate more low value tasks and low values are the quick check-ins, if you will. The, hey, um, you know, the, hey, how was your first day? We like to pick up the phone on that one. That's kind of a, that's kind of a big one, right? The. Um, the hey, did you, your check went out how to go? That's that can be smaller, right? If there's an issue, we know that ninety eight point nine percent of the time there's no issue so that we can automate um, the the hey reminder for your interview prep. Yeah, let's automate that the how we're going to prep the candidate for the interview, definitely not automated. And, and I think. You can't build a relationship through technology at the same rate or with the same depth that you can interpersonally. So, for us, I guess the mindset is how can we keep recruiters on the phone as much as possible, connected with the candidates and, and the applicant base as much as possible? And how do we use technology to help them do all of the things that are keeping them from being on the phone building relationships? So, for us, it shouldn't be less. Really, the technology should augment the ability to have more talk time and, and and deeper relationships built because you don't have to worry about all the administrative tasks that are so burdensome.
0: Coming back to the conversation about the, the difference between the supply and demand, this conversation I was having, I was asking one of our, our previous guests on the podcast. Do you have, or do your clients have, do you know conversations with the education uh, industry, with with local colleges, with schools? Do you talk to the future um, workforce? Yes,
1: yes, they they, ab- they absolutely do. It's certainly part of it. I, you know, I think. Without getting political, I wish we did more of it because I think that's where there's a there's a bit of a disconnect between sometimes what we're teaching and what is needed in application, especially at the pace of which business is evolving. Um, we have had customers, James, that are so keen on it though um, that we've run their co-op programs for them. Right, and and the only value we perceive as a business is. We put them on our payroll at a payroll markup just to just to you know make some money on it. But in reality, the value add is relationships with department chairs at universities and then the connection of this is what's going on in our business. How does this apply to what you're teaching? Um, and then I, I, I do I do feel like the more time I spend in the industry, the more I do meet people that are ad hoc professors spending time volunteering in the university system to help. I, I do think people want to do it. Um, I just think the demands of the uh, day to day American work life balance aren't such that it's it's an obvious opportunity for that many people. But uh, I I think again, like best in class companies are willing to look at reskilling and jobs that are applicable. I think I think your best companies are absolutely involved in uh, where's the youth of our country going and who's educating them, training them and getting them prepared to make an impact when they're there.
0: There is, of course, a lot more that could be done everywhere around readying the workforce, readying people coming out of of College of Education. Um, But as you and I both know, it's not always a a direct path, is it? Mark, you've got your own podcast, haven't you? Beers and Careers? Yes, exactly. Thank you for the shout out. Well, so I was listening to it prior to coming on here with you. And uh, yeah, very interesting. Could you tell our audience what your podcast is about and where it came from?
1: Yes. Uh, thanks, James. I <clears throat> uh, The benefit of the role I had as a, a salesperson in our business was I met a lot of executives over the course of time, VPs of ops, VPs of engineering, CEOs and the like, VPs of HR. And they they all um, liked their jobs. But the more I got to know them over a beer or, or meal, they they didn't know what they wanted to be when they graduated college. And oftentimes it had a very nonlinear career path. And I grew up um, with a with a dad that was an engineer and knew he wanted to be an engineer from from the second he was kind of born. And so I'd get home from college and he'd be like, what are you doing for, for life? And I'd be like, I still have no idea what I'm gonna do. And I had my mom on the other side being like, don't worry about it. It's never gonna happen. You don't have to figure it out. And so, but our educational system in the US is very focused on preparing you for the next step. And I, and I, and I wanted to document Uh, The careers of people who were gainfully employed, loved what they did, but they really had a windy path that got them there. So we document nonlinear career paths on beers and careers, talk about people's decision making along the way and how setbacks have really turned into opportunities for those people along the way. So our goal is to inspire the high school, college kid, uh, midlife crisis, career change individual to sit back and be like, everything's fine. What, what are the core things that I'm good at? And how do I reskill myself? Uh, wh- what are the things that I like to do? And what are the skills that skills that I have that translate into certain roles and, and then the power of networking and mentoring are, are constant themes on the podcast. But that's, that's a very long winded answer for you. But we document nonlinear career paths, James.
0: Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great hearing about what's going on at Davis companies, the, the challenges and solutions as you see them. And it's also, of course, always great to, to stumble a, a, upon another podcast in this space. So thank you very much. Uh, James, thanks, for, thanks so much for having me and best of luck. Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share and more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor employee providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organisations, on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out.